0: One of the things that really impressed me when I was a kid was homing pigeons. Um, We knew some people who had them, and I just thought these birds were incredible. I mean, it amazed me that they could find their way home. I mean, I never wanted to own them. I, I knew how much work was involved in just cleaning up after a budgie, so I could see there'd be an enormous amount of work in cleaning up after dozens of homing pigeons. But they really are impressive I mean, they've got this incredible sense of direction. You can put them in a trailer, drive them miles and miles away from home, let them out of the cage, and they'll just fly home. I mean, how do they do that? I mean, they have a brain the size of a jelly bean. I mean, how can they figure out how to get home? We have fully grown adults in our house who don't have anywhere near that sense of direction. Did they just pay careful attention while they were being driven away from their home? I mean, make good mental notes, turn right and then turn left. I mean, it's incredible that they can navigate that kind of a distance. But I'm sure there's something else that we can learn from hobing pigeons as well. And it's actually got to do with the Christmas story. Uh, We just had part of the Christmas story read to us, a part that we might not be that familiar with. But there's something in here that we can learn from the pigeons. So let me show you what it is. Now, the events that we read in that Bible reading came about a month after the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph have made their way to Jerusalem as the law of Moses required. Mary was required by the law to make an offering at the temple. It was her purification following childbirth. And they are required to present the baby at the temple. I suppose everyone's aware of the humble circumstances into which Jesus was born. We know that he was born in a shed that they couldn't find anywhere else to stay. We know that he was wrapped in strips of cloth because they didn't have time to have a baby shower. And now they've gone to the temple and and, and it's further evidence of just how humble his circumstances were. The law required that Mary and Joseph should take an offering to the temple following the birth of their son. Let me read the part from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves... two young pigeons. They've gone to the temple to make the two-pigeon offering. Now, that may seem like a trivial piece of information, but I'm sure that Luke's included it there for a reason. See, two pigeons wasn't exactly what the law required. The law said that they were required to make an offering of a one-year-old lamb and a dove or a pigeon. But the law made a special provision for those people who were poor. It said this. This is what it says in, in the law in Leviticus chapter 12. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. So the two pigeon offering was for the people who couldn't afford to buy a lamb. I'm sure Joseph and Mary would have wanted the very best for their son, but they just simply couldn't afford to do it. They couldn't afford a lamb. As they walked to the temple with Jesus in one arm and the two pigeons in the other, everyone would have known what that meant. I'm sure this would have been like sending your son or daughter to school without the right school uniform because you couldn't afford to buy it. I mean, every parent wants to do the best for their kids but that was the life that Jesus was born into. He was born into a not-so-wealthy family, a family that could only afford the two-pigeon sacrifice. And that's got to be one of the most remarkable things about the Christmas story, that Jesus has humbled himself by coming into this world. Have a listen to how Jesus is described at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, some of the most extraordinary words in the Bible, I think. It says this In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was made. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one through whom the universe was made. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. And when he came into the world, he was born into a family family. Who could only afford the two pigeon sacrifice? It seems incredible that God would be willing to do that. It seems incredible that God would choose the most humble of circumstances when sending his son into the world. But that's what God has chosen to do. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. But there's one more thing that we learn from the pigeons. Uh, There's a phrase that gets repeated in the passage that we had read to us earlier. I'm not sure if you noticed it. Uh, Let me read it again and put a little bit of the emphasis in there. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written, in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And then when you move down a little bit further in verse 27, it says this, talking about Simeon, it says, moved by the spirit, he went to the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Do you get the impression Luke's trying to stress something here? Luke wants to stress that right from his birth, Jesus is someone who is keeping God's law. Right from the very beginning, while he's still in his parents' arms, The law is being kept. He's keeping the law and it's a significant thing that Luke wants to point out. See, it's only the one who is without sin who can deal with our sin. Jesus came into this world and was without sin. He came to trade places with us, to take what it is that we deserve. He came to pay the penalty for our sin. This is how it gets described in 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. There's another place in 2 Corinthians where Paul makes the same point. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The fact Jesus was without sin is not some nice detail in the story. It's not an attempt to say that Jesus was a good boy. It's central to his purpose in coming. He came as one without sin so that he could make the exchange. He came as one without sin so that he could take away our sin. I suppose most people know the story of the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur. Uh, They were the first people to achieve powered flight. It happened in December 1903. After many attempts, the Wright brothers managed to get their flying machine off the ground. They were so excited about what they'd achieved that they sent a telegram to their father. Uh, It read, in part, Success, four flights, Thursday morning. Longest, 57 seconds. Inform press home Christmas. Their sister Catherine was so excited when she read this telegram, man had finally achieved powered flight. She rushed off to see the editor of the local newspaper and to show him this message, this incredible achievement. Here's the news of one of the biggest events in human history. You'd think that the editor of a newspaper would want to see it. Catherine placed the telegram down in front of the editor. He read through it and do you know what he said? oh, how nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? A newspaper editor, and he couldn't see that one of the most significant events in human history had just taken place. But it's interesting because I think people can do the same with the Christmas story. We can get so caught up with the small details that we actually fail to see the incredible thing that God is doing here. But here in Luke's gospel, we're told about a great man, a man who can see past the small details to the big picture, to what it is that God is doing. We're told about Simeon, a godly man who was longing for the day that God would step in to save his people. And as he stood in the temple court, he could see what was happening. See, he could see past the two pigeons that Joseph and Mary were carrying as the poor man's offering. He could see who Jesus was. See, God was working out his plan of salvation. Look at it there in the passage you've got in front of you. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. In Jesus, God was at work bringing about his plan of salvation for the world. God's son has come into the world. Jesus has come to bring life to the whole world. He came to deal with sin. He came and made it possible for us to be forgiven. He came and made it possible for us to be right with God. Seems incredible, doesn't it? I mean, here is Jesus, the one who is God, yet he came into the world in such humble circumstances. Here is Jesus, the one through whom the world was made, yet he was willing to suffer and die so that we could be forgiven. But that's the message of Christmas. Make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you don't get distracted by the Christmas lights or the Christmas presents or the other festivities. Let me read you one more verse. It comes from John chapter 1. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. That's the wonderful message we have at Christmas. Jesus, the one who is God, was willing to come into this world in the most humble of circumstances. But more than that, Jesus, the one who is God, came into this world to suffer and die so that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, we can become the children of God.